Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What have we learned from over 50 years of UFO studies? Can we expect disclosure anytime soon? How did a nuclear engineer become a UFO researcher? Hello and welcome to the 776th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM on and our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben and those long-standing questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And uh, today we bring you a new guest to help us honor an organization we believe to be among the most credible in the field. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can call us today, 401 766 one two four zero. Actually, I don't believe we'll be taking calls because there, because of, oh, of, of our. Yes, we will not be taking yeah. calls today um, because we are doing doing our show uh, remotely due to the uh, inclement weather. Um, so, but we will we will check our emails and uh, Facebook messages. So, Paul at behindtheparanormal dot com for those. Very good, uh, Jan C. Marzan, uh, Marzan, Harzan. Oh dear, who wrote this script? Uh, has been executive director of the Mutual UFO Network or MUFON since 2013. Holder of a degree in nuclear engineering from UCLA, Jan worked for IBM for the informa- in the information technology sector for 37 years. His interest in UFOs began when he was eight years old and read an article about Major Donald Keough, a U.S. Marine Corps aviator and prominent UFO researcher of the 1950s. During his involvement with MUFON's leadership, he has been prominent in strategic planning and in creating the Case Management System, or CMS, used for UFO reporting, tracking, and investigative follow-up. Follow-up. I'm sorry. Follow-up. Wait a minute. Follow-up. It's a lot of follow-up. Last time I'm having peanut butter for breakfast. (coughs) Follow-up. He lives in Newport Beach, California, where he comes to us today via Skype. So, Jan Harzan, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Yeah, I hope I was uh, accurate. <laughs> I'm sorry about that slip-up. That's ridiculous. Um, it's not for well, maybe, maybe, maybe Marzan. That sounds maybe from where I'm from. I'm not sure. Mars. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're Mars, Pennsylvania. Okay, exactly. so ben, uh, ben, take us away. So, Jan, you and your brother had a rather profound UFO experience, which kind of helped to lead you into the field. Can you kind of give us uh, an overview of what happened? Sure, absolutely. My, my my brother and I, um, my brother was one of these guys who who was into electronics and building things at a very very young age. I mean, I, I like to tell the story that he was fixing the neighbors' television sets when he was eight years old. Um, he's a year younger than me. Um, always had a a brain for electronics and things like that, and so we were always very interested with the newspaper articles and magazine articles that would come to the house back in the early sixties about these UFOs that were being seen. And, they, of course, they, then they called them flying saucers. And we got talking about it one day, and we decided that one of these craft, they're, they're probably using some kind of a uh, electromagnetic propulsion field to get from here to there. And so we designed a craft, oh, a 30-foot craft with three pulsed electromagnetic engines on it. We were going to build this in our backyard. We were just little kids at the time, so it kind of was more, more fantasy than fact. But uh, about... Uh, 30 days after we started this whole project uh, and read something in an uh, uh, article in, in another UFO magazine, uh, one of these crafts showed up in our backyard. So my brother came in at 6.30 in the morning, got me out of bed, and said, there's something going on outside um, my window in my bedroom. And I said, well, did you look out to see what it was? He said, no, I, I didn't. And I said, well, let's go take a look. So I was at one end of the house. He was at the other. We walked back to the end of the house. 
where his room was, looked out. There was no commotion at the window at that time, so we turned around, and I said, well, why don't we go out in the backyard and see what's happening? Now, it was about 6.30 in the morning, um, and I'm thinking it's about April, uh, because right before the time changed, so the sun was already up. It was bright outside. Um, and we went out the back door of the garage uh, and into the backyard to the end of the house to look back at his window, and there was nothing there. And so I'm thinking he's just, you know, trying to pull one over on me at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. Why, why get me out of bed? And we turn around to go back in the house, and there, 30 feet from us, hovering 10 feet off the ground, is this landing craft with four landing gear on it, making a humming noise like a transformer on a telephone pole. And we were just affixed, staring at this object. Um, so the first thing that went through my mind was, oh my gosh, these things are real. Here's a craft in our backyard flying you know, 10 feet off the ground, literally frozen in the sky uh, where it was. And then the second thought I thought was, wow, this thing looks like it's man-made. And the reason I had that thought go through my mind was, between the landing gear on each side, there were crossbars uh, that kind of scissored. They had a scissoring function. So as the, as the landing gear would be compressed, the scissoring function would cushion that. And in the center of the, of the scissors, like most scissors, there's a, there was a bolt or a screw to hold the scissors together in the center. And uh, But then I started staring at the craft, and I noticed that it was completely seamless. So the next thought that went through my mind was uh, was how do they get in and out of this thing? There's no windows, no doors. It's like one complete seamless piece of metal uh, around this. It was like a water tank. I always tell people it's like a, if you took a brick and you blew it up to 8 to 10 feet long by 4 feet wide by 3 feet high and completely smoothed it um, so it was more like a tank, uh, that was a craft. It was bright orange. It was very, very ornate. Bright orange. It had blue corrugated landing gear, black suction cups on the bottom, uh, and brown crossbars. So it, it almost looked like someone had painted this with a little paint set. Um, and I had the feeling if I picked up a rocket through at it, it would have bounced off the craft. I mean, it was a solid craft. So we're looking at this thing, and I said to my brother, I'm going to go in the house and get a camera. And I went to go into the garage and go to the house, and we'd locked ourselves out of the back. So he's in the backyard watching this thing, and I'm in the garage now trying to get into the house, pounding on the door. Eventually, my older brother, who'd been asleep, got up and uh, opened the door for me, and I ran and got, got the camera, ran back out, by the time I got to the backyard again, my brother was now standing up on our swing set. Uh, he climbed up the slide ladder and was standing on the top, staring off to the west. And I asked him, I said, you know, where to go? What happened to it? He said, well, it just was frozen in the sky for a second there, and then it started to drift to the west and then just shot off over the horizon. So um, that's my, my experience. I, you know, I can't say that it's not ours uh, or that it's extraterrestrial per se, but it, but it, but it was a craft that defies explanation. And, and the one thing I will say uh, is if we had that technology back in 1965, because that's when the sighting happened, I don't know why we're not seeing it today, 54 years later. Hmm. How old were you then? I was 10 at that time. Okay. My brother was 9. All right. Wow, and you were building UFO... <laughs> well, we're trying, to, we're trying to build a craft, but you know, yeah. the funny thing is, after that sighting, we lost all interest in building that thing, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't blame you. I'd move over uh, the Searle family, I would think. Uh, ben, uh, what... Uh, I guess we're going to ask about the uh, the history yeah, I guess, of MUFON. You know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, can you give us a brief history of MUFON and how MUFON research um, kind of came out of the 1950s and 60s? Sure, absolutely. Well, there were a handful of gentlemen, uh, about six or so, who who were working with APRO back in the uh, middle 60s. And uh, the Lorenzans ran a very centralized organization, and one of those individuals 
Walt Andrus, uh, had gone on a TV show to talk about a sighting down in his neck of the woods, and they uh, admonished him for doing that and basically said, no, you can't speak, only we can speak for for uh, APRO, uh, Aerial Phenomenal Research Organization. So he and a number of other gentlemen got together and, and started the, uh, at the time it was called the Midwest UFO Network, because it, it, it encompassed six states uh, in the Midwest, uh, I believe Illinois, Minnesota, uh, Missouri and, and the states surrounding their area there uh, were part of this original group. Well, it wasn't too long before other states and other countries called them and said, hey, we'd like to join your little group. And so it became the fact they needed to change the name because it was Midwest. So they changed it to the Mutual UFO Network. And I still get a lot of comments on that today, like, what does mutual mean? But it's basically, it's, it's for all the people... Uh, doing this stuff. So it's always been a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. Um, it's volunteer. 99.99% uh, of our folks are all volunteers. The only paid staff are myself and an office manager, and we do have a contract or two employees who help us put the journal together. That's Roger Marsh, who's our editor, and uh, a gal who helps out in the office. So, But other than that, it's 100%. Everything is done by volunteers, and so that's what's pre pretty amazing about the organization. So the Mutual UFO Network does not necessarily sell insurance to uh, UFO hunters. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. You know, you've got these different mutual, uh, uh, like the Mutual Farm and this, that, that yeah. sell insurance. No, we don't We don't sell insurance. Maybe we should. Off the well, there you go. There you go. Okay, uh, why don't we get into some of uh, the uh, listener questions that have come in <coughs> for you, Jan. Uh, you're, um, you should consider that a compliment. Many guests uh, don't, don't receive any questions from anybody <laughs> but ourselves. Uh, ben, what do we have? So we have uh, quite a few from uh, Peter or Pedro. Uh, it, it, no, we'll say Peter. So Peter uh, writes to us. Um, is very, He's very... from uh, Columbia, South America. Yes. So Peter writes to us. Uh, are you aware of any UFO reports um, of or, or reports of UFOs in combat with other UFOs? And if so, uh, can you share details? For example, um, he cites the uh, UFO investigator Ed Grimsley. I uh, was in the habit of using high-grade night vision equipment and reporting seeing UFOs battling each other, shooting at each other, exploding, um, ejecting escape pods, rescues. Uh, the the objects were various UFO shapes. Other people are reporting uh, night vision UFOs, uh, but without the battling part. Grimsley was unique in this regard, or was he? Um, he even described uh, being visited by the men in black, Having his uh, battle videos taken, uh, according to him, uh, these battles were occurring in our upper atmosphere. Well, the short answer is yes. We get all sorts of reports. Um, I actually did go through the database and was looking for the word battle, and I had a whole lot of things come up, but some of it was the Battle of Los Angeles, which, you know, was the craft seen back in the early 40s uh, that were shot at by our, our military folks. Um, we have had reports of beams being shot out of craft. Uh, we have a lot of reports of our military jets chasing these craft. Um, so I guess the short answer is yes, we have we have reports of these types of things. It's hard to investigate a space battle. I mean, if you are observing something through night vision goggles and you see one craft shooting something with another craft, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to pin that one down. It's more we take the report, we investigate, make sure that the witnesses are, are, are valid and that if there's any corroborating witnesses, that helps as well. And we document that. I mean, that's one of the things that MUFON does is we get the reports 
Uh, they're available to the public. You can go on our, our website under Track UFOs. Just click on the top button there. You'll get a search screen, and you can actually type in uh, the word battle and see what comes up. But I would I would limit your search because if the word battle shows up anywhere, it, it's going to pull up a lot of reports for you. So um, short answer is, is yes. Um, I wouldn't say it's a predominant set of reports that we get, though. Mostly it's structured craft uh, flying through our skies on, on a regular basis. Mm. <clears throat> One of the, when that question came in, uh, the uh, so-called Aldeburgh Sky Battle of 1642 came up uh, from Suffolk, England. We, we had uh, not heard about that until we were in Brendlesham uh, Forest uh, there and, and had spoken in the nearby village of Woodbridge, and uh, we took the approach that Maybe the 1980 UFO sightings by the military personnel, etc., uh, in December of 1980, the famous Rendlesham Forest incident, were the tip of an iceberg uh, and maybe one of our, what we refer to as flap areas. That's kind of our own specialty. And uh, we were there half the night, uh, Ben and I, in the hotel, where his people just wouldn't stop telling their own stories. And one of the stories that came up, that it was not a personal experience of anybody who happened to have been there because of the uh, distance in in uh, time was this Aldeburgh sky battle and there was a supposedly people in Aldeburgh and Suffolk uh, saw a large phantom battle in the, the skies they heard the, what sounded like gunfire and there was a big uh, rock that fell from the sky although nobody knows what happened to it so uh, there there have been reports uh, that go back quite a ways uh, whether they're legitimate is another issue. Right. Well, the other thing, too, is is most of the cases I've seen, it, it appears to be, if anything is shot from a, from a UFO, a beam of whatever, uh, typically it's a, it's a defensive move. I mean, I'm thinking of the Travis Walton case where mm. he jumped out of the truck and ran towards the object, and that would be kind of a threatening move for the object, and they shot him with a beam, knocked him out, maybe even killed him, who knows? I mean, but because uh, the next thing he remembers is waking up on the craft with a thing above his chest, um, I would think maybe healing them from whatever they did to them. So, yeah, yeah it, it's it's we get these cases, we get reported. I think what people don't realize is we get five hundred to a thousand cases reported to us a month from all over the world. Wow! And uh, we have some six hundred active field investigators that are assigned to go track down those cases and try to figure out what's and then put their report in a database for us to to have. So, um, it, it's a lot of work. I, mean, I don't think people realize how much work gets done, and it's all done with volunteers, which is a whole another challenge. But they do a great job. It's amazing, yeah. Well, so uh, after we get through the list of questions, I'd like to get into sort of how MUFON works. And we were very impressed one time. Mark uh, D'Antonio was on the show and was in, in our studio, and uh, he had his laptop with him. And we had a listener from Massachusetts call and said, well, I filed this report of MUFON. I haven't heard anything. He said, just a minute. And he was online, and he he got the the report number and the whole thing. He said, "Well, they will be in touch." So that that really impressed us with uh, how well organized Mufon is. But for now, let, let's uh, continue with the questions. Ben, uh, what else do we have? Sure. So uh, Peter has a couple more questions for us, and uh, one of them being, uh, Jan, during your presentation uh, for Space Stories 2016 at the Explorers Club, you said, "quote." One of my state directors uh, had two men claim they were from the government, uh, in, in parentheses, uh, because he was doing an investigation into a case up in Utah. They told him uh, and his family uh, that they would not be in good health much longer if he, if he continued the case. Based on that, he is probably going to resign. The question is this. Uh, can you give us the details of this 2016 case and what was so special and unique about it? 
Well, I'm, I'll give you the, the, the general text. The, the individual was doing research on Dugway Proving Grounds, which many people think is uh, kind of another Area 51 in, in the U.S. Uh, that where the testing of these type of craft are, are, are undergoing. And um, he had two appear to be government people. I, I believe he thought they were the FBI, uh, although I don't know that they specifically showed him credentials, but they basically told him to, to stop what he was doing or there'd be strong repercussions. So it, it scared him enough that, frankly, he, he resigned it. And he, I've never heard from him again. So um, oh, I, all I can say is that, yeah, you know, and, and I get it. Let's just assume it had nothing to do with UFOs and it was just, you know, you're poking around a, a secret military installation. I mean, you're gonna get you're gonna get someone telling you, hey, knock it off, or you're gonna be, be, be in trouble. So, um, I think I think we, you know many people in the field we get this conspiracy theorist thing, but the fact is, you know, we pay our military to protect us, and and the military looks at everything as a threat. That's what they're supposed to do because that's what we pay them to do, and they come up with plans on how to thwart that. So, I I you know I, I there's probably a lot more of the story than what's known, but but basically it had to do with him. Pursuing and trying to get information, uh, and going down to Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah, and uh, being told, "Knock it off, <laughs> or else," kind of a thing. Mm. So that's all I can tell you. I, I don't think it'd be any different. Probably if you went to Area 51 and you started poking around the fence and started uh, touching things. I mean, there's so many sensors up there that you get the security team on top of you pretty quickly if you if you're doing anything that's out of the ordinary. I got chased across the desert by. Some of the government plates, and I wasn't even off the road. Yeah, yeah. Because I was taking some pictures. I, I don't know. It's really strange. Well, they, I mean, they, I didn't they believe that this stuff. To they that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, Ben, we have another uh, a third uh, question from uh, Peter, who I guess is sort of an honorary co-host today. Indeed, we do. So, uh, regarding your own 1965 UFO close encounter that you and your brother um, underwent. Uh, did you and your brother ever go through hypnotic regression? If so, what additional information came out? Um, if you haven't had regression, why not? Yeah, yeah. So, I, so uh, I asked Barbara Lamb to uh, regress my brother because uh, he wanted to find out what had happened to him. Because there's a part of the story which I don't really tell because I can't really prove it. But that is when we went back in the house, uh, my older brother who had been asleep when we went out just a few minutes before was up and watching television. I don't know if you remember the televisions back in the 60s, but when you turned on one of those TVs, it took about two minutes to warm up, right? So, uh, yes. Yeah, the little dot, and then it would grow bigger and bigger and <laughs> bigger, bigger, and then yep. the fuzz would come in, and then it would finally... And so um, my brother, Jeff, who was with me, he recollects that he was watching a show, and he named the show. I don't recall what he said, but, he, but that show didn't actually come on until 8 o'clock. Now, I can tell you from my perspective, we only were out there two or three minutes, so if we went out at 6.30, I do know for a fact we went out at 6.30 because I saw the clock as we walked out the door. Uh, but we didn't get back until 8 o'clock. There, there would appear to be some missing time there. And uh, my suspicion is my brother was taken. You know, uh, oh, the reason I say that is because he had very negative repercussions from this event where I had kind of a different uh, reaction to the event, um, more positive uh, focused. So in his regression, what he recalled was the craft coming over his head and him being sucked up in the craft. But he, he became so agitated that we had to stop the session. So um, we don't have anything beyond that point. And I, I haven't gone back, to, or he hasn't gone back to have any further regression done. But, yeah, we did many, many, many years later do that uh, because he's had just a real hard 
road ahead of him after that event happened in his life, um, and he's trying to figure out what exactly they might have done to him. But that's not really something I share because it's not anything I can prove. Other than sure. I can just tell you he had a messed up life. <laughs> okay. And, Ben, I believe we have uh, some communications from none other than uh, Joe Citro, a good friend from Vermont, uh, the bard of the bazaar in Vermont, as he's known, novelist and researcher, uh, who spoke at the Greater New England UFO Conference last year for the first time. And what, is, uh, what does Joe have for us? So, here's the thing. I couldn't find that. <laughs> well, I, well I, I have it. I have it. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> All right, these are more or less housekeeping questions, I guess, Jan, but some people uh, out there, I think, will be very interested in the answers. Does Vermont have an active MUFON presence these days? Well, when you say active, I mean, we have we have a, a, a state director in, in Vermont. Um, we don't have probably an active chapter in terms of having meetings. That's one thing that people always ask us for, is they want to have meetings. And we have a very strong states out there that do meetings, uh, Arizona is one that does phenomenal meetings. They meet at a beautiful museum down there in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, another one is uh, Missouri. They have regular meetings going on all the time, uh, as well as Florida. So there are different states that have different, um, you know, structures, and it's really dependent upon the uh, state director and the volunteers, because it's all done by volunteers. So uh, I think if people want a meeting, and they'd like to set something up, they should get in touch with their uh, state director, and they should uh, volunteer their time, because that's how it, it takes volunteers to make it work. That, okay. That's the main thing. Uh, we were available sometimes with the Connecticut MUFON group, uh, Mike Panicello, and we, we've spoken at their meetings, and we see them at uh, the Western Connecticut UFO Conference every year, and uh, they're very active, uh, really a large group as well. So... Uh, I guess Joe also wanted to know uh, if there was a MUFON contact for people uh, throughout New England. I mean, I think we can communicate off the air about this and pass the information on to Joe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Happy okay, to get good. you some names. Right, okay. Uh, okay, now, uh, moving on to some of our own questions here. Uh, there is, a matter of fact, there, an email did come in, uh, in in this reference, and I was going to ask it anyway. Uh, the, the issue of... Um, the sky battles. I just sort of wanted to go back to that for a minute to Michael, uh, I should say, uh, Peter's question. The One of the backgrounds of the UFO, I, I don't want to say legend, because it, it's, it's probably got some uh, real historical uh, value, uh, is the notion of the wars of the gods. Okay, And... Um, the modern question has come up: uh, Are some of, given some of the experiences people report, uh, and, and the different kinds of aliens who are reported, whatever an alien might be, not necessarily from other planets, I guess, uh, could they be at war with each? And I say war, but but there, there could could there be friction or diplomatic issues or whatever between alien groups? And we either have nothing to do with it, or are they? Or are we in the middle? Or in other words, is the whole alien phenomenon going on, whether it be abductions or whatever, is not necessarily monolithic. Okay, it's not necessarily one group or one oh, yeah. alliance doing these things. I mean, what evidence have you seen that there there is uh, that, that there are issues between whoever these are that may or may not have anything to do with us? Well, I personally haven't seen any, but that doesn't mean there isn't some conflict between different races. I mean, I imagine we have 
dozens, if not uh, hundreds of races visiting Earth based on, you know, the feedback we get from witnesses and experiencers who are telling us what these beings look like. You know, they're, they're, they come in all shapes and sizes, right? So, um, I think that's the, I think that's the exciting thing. You know, we had the announcement back in 2017 in the New York Times that, that the Pentagon is interested in UFOs, which says, these are real. I mean, they've been denying that they're real for years, but now sudden we find out they have a program. They've been carefully watching this whole thing. I call that disclosure. I mean, that's really disclosure. Now, I think what most people are looking for now is confirmation. You know, how do we confirm that there's actual aliens out there? Because that program, the ATIP program, when it was founded, was founded on the purposes of trying to determine the kind of the what and how. Like, what are they and how do they work? Uh, it didn't focus on who they were, why they were here, or what they were up to. Um, and I think that's going to be the next step for ufology is is, is documenting and di- diving into that. And that's one of the things MUFON is doing. We've got a whole experience or research team. Uh, we're setting up our front end to CMS so that we can start taking those reports from the public. And we want to collect the data and make it available to people to, uh, it's just like we do UFO reports today. Um, who's, yeah. who's seeing these things? Who's having entity contact? Um, we get a lot of people reporting to us through our experiencer survey, which is on our website, mm. um, under the ERT. We've done shows research. on that. What's that? We've done shows on that. Yeah. With, with so, Kathleen Martin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With Kathleen Martin, who's uh, the niece of Betty from Betty and Barney Hill. Right. And then Dr. George Medich, who's out back there out of Philadelphia. Um, we get probably five to ten reports a day from people reporting non-human entities in their bedroom and or, you know, running into them on the roadway or things like that. And, uh, not all of them are associated with a UFO. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, what are they, who are these non-human entities or what, what's causing them to be seen? Um, but we're trying to collect the data and we're trying to get the information and, and make some sense of it because I think that's what the general public's going to want to know. Once they come to firmly understand that these craft are flying around our skies, the next logical question is, who are they? <laughs> what yeah. do they want? Why are mm-hmm. they here? And, and I think it's a very simple answer. I mean, it's, um, I'm, talking to, and I'm on a distribution list with a number of physicists uh, who are working on faster than light travel, and I've been given estimates of 20 to 50 years before we're actually, now, many believe we're already doing this in the black world, but but in 20, 50 years, being doing it, we'll be doing it in the white world, where we'll actually be doing interstellar travel. Well, if we're now out in space 20 to 50 years from now, which isn't that long, it's a blink of an eye, really, if you think about mm-hmm. human history, uh, and we're circling above a planet in a, in, in a solar system far away, whether it's in our galaxy or another galaxy, and we look down on that planet and there's indigenous life walking around or doing whatever it's doing, and we go down and interact with that life, and, and they're not yet to a point where they're, they too are space traveling, we then become the aliens. So I, I think it's just logical that other races and species out there who have evolved on their own planets and their own uh, systems, if they have come here, that you know, we would be seeing all sorts of activities. So, I, 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 to me, it's like God created this huge universe. He put a lot of life in it, and we're just a little tiny part of it. You know, that's that's kind of how I look at it. Well, that leads right into my next question. I bet I don't want to hog the conversation here. I can't see you because you're 12 miles away. So, what um, do you have any other uh, anything um, you want to contribute at this point, or can I? I mean, I do, but um, we'll we'll get to it when it makes when it makes more sense, uh, question wise. 
All right, I'll, I'll ponder that, and I'll figure it out at the end of the show. But well essentially, Jan- well, essentially what I'm saying is it would be rather off-topic for what we're talking about currently. Okay, all right. Jan, you just really touched on something I think it's very important, is the uh, the diversity, for lack of a better term, in the universe, or the multiverse, depending on what your uh, physical beliefs are about things. Uh, there are possibilities that I think do not fit within our narrow paradigm, uh, we we seem to approach, and certainly in the beginning of the UFO phenomenon, and, and I bow to your superior knowledge of the history of this field, uh, that that um, you know they they were visitors from other planets. You know what else could they be? Uh, right. The craft we see in the skies were nuts and bolts, things like this, and, and that's entirely plausible. Okay, but there have been ideas suggested since then. We'd like to get your thoughts on, for example. That uh, maybe, and, and this gets into the whole disclosure thing, and we, we've gone round and round on this show with this, there's several disclosure advocates on this. What if the the truth, uh, is maybe in quotes, is so horrible or terrible or threatening that it should be kept secret? Uh, that being said, if the government does come out with disclosure, who believes the government? I mean, I think it's naive to expect complete and full disclosure, uh, or even that it, that it be accurate disclosure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So go ahead. Well, so so let me, let me address that last question first, and then go to the other one. You know, we we had Lou Elizondo, who was the uh, man who ran the Pentagon's ATIP program for ten years, who's now left government service and has gone to uh, the TTSA folks down in Encinitas, California, under Tom DeLong. We had him speak at our symposium and kind of share what he knew about the ATIP program. And uh, he said something very telling. He, he, kind of, he said, well, first off, he said, you guys got it right. If you go to our website, moveon.com, and play the video, it's on the front page, you'll see him talking like, hey, you guys had it right, and I, and I applaud you for all you've done and, and all the arrows you've taken all these years from people calling you crazy. Because you were you were right all along. They're real, right? Um, but but the thing he said that really struck me was, he said, I know a lot of you are waiting for the government to come out and make a big announcement. He says, but the thing you need to understand about government, uh, and he's not speaking as from the government, he's just saying, I'm telling you how it works, is it's not the purview of government to satisfy the idle curiosity of its citizens. It's the purpose of government to protect its citizens. And when you really wrap your mind around that comment, you say, okay, well, that's why, you know, President Trump or President Clinton or President Obama, whoever was, you know, president hasn't stepped up to the podium and said, hey, guys, guess what? We're being visited by all these, <laughs> because they don't see that as their job to, to fill us in. Mm-hmm. But an organization like MUFON, being, being a nonprofit and run, you know, all of our funding comes from the public, um, we can do research on it and put the research findings out there, as can other people. I mean, so I think... It's important that credible research come out here because I suspect that, that if there was ever anything coming from the government, it might be a little bit tainted, but that's just my personal opinion uh, because they have – there's there's always an angle they're trying to sell, right? Whether yeah. it be we need to protect ourselves from these bad aliens and we're going to build a trillion dollars in weapons or, or whatever the answer might be, and we might say, well, I, I, I look at it this way. We, we've got – when I grew up – Russia was our, uh, at that time, the USSR was our big enemy. We had all these missiles pointed at each other. They were just horrible people, horrible people. I mean, those Russians, you know, we, we can't trust them, blah, blah, blah. Even today we hear that too. But, yeah, but, right? but, yet, but yet today, <laughs> yeah. and many people don't realize this, today 
The only way our astronauts can get to the International Space Station is on a Russian rocket. That's right. We fly them over to Russia. They get on a Russian-built rocket into a Russian-built craft, a spaceship, and they are rocketed into space. To the we, we, we for eight years have not been able to put a man in space. I mean, I don't think people get that. It's like crazy. Yeah. And we're yeah, depending right. on our arch enemy from 50 years ago, who was blow us up and put us in the smithereens to to do that. So so now, does the military and and and, it, and, and, the, and the government and things still look at them as an enemy? Well, I mean, you can just watch the news and you can see that. My gosh, they're doing this and they're doing that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I won't get into the politics of things, but but it's like we can't trust these guys. And yet, and yet, I can go down to my local Fashion Island shopping center, and there are Russian people all over the place. They're coming here visiting, and we have people going to Russia, people taking vacation. So it's kind of like that thing, like you know, maybe someday we'll have open relations with these extraterrestrials, whatever whatever form they take, um, being that that's what they are, and. But still, we have a government that, that operates on a standpoint of trying to protect its citizens, and that's what they do. That's just what they do. They've been doing mm -hmm. it since the beginning of time. So it's, not, it's really no different, I don't think. Um, but I think the good news is there are people who were formerly in the government coming out and stating, uh, even the Pentagon, that, that, that these things are real. And I think that's a huge step forward for ufology. I mean, when you've got government folks coming out stating unequivocally not part of a UFO group, these guys are doing it on their own, that, they're, that the craft are real, that they represent advanced technology, and it's not from this planet. That, to me, is disclosure, period. Well, just uh, not, not to be, uh, you know, rain on the parade, but just uh, having been in the military and uh, having had a, a clearance, not very high, I didn't work in into the UFOs. It was mostly the Cuban thing during the 80s and Grenada and all that. But still, I mean, it, it, there's always an agenda when anybody from the government comes out and seems to be revealing a secret. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know? I, so, I, I, I mean, I just, I'm still a little skeptical. Yeah, I get what you're saying, and, and uh, I'm sure you're right, but uh, there may be another layer to it that uh, isn't quite as Oh, I'm, as, uh, I'm, sure there's a, I'm sure there's a hundred layers to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but, the, but the first step forward, in my opinion, is all of us getting on board on this planet that we're not alone. That's yeah. step one. Once we get to step one, then we can say, who are they? Where are they from? What are they about? And you're going to get a thousand different agendas. You're going to get the far Christian right, you know, saying that they're the devil and demons. You're going to get the government saying they're advanced alien craft here to destroy us. I mean, you, I, who knows? It's going to be a huge plethora of people coming with all these things, which is why it's important we collect data on it and we'd be able to report factually of here's the interactions that have been reported to us. Here's the basis of them. Here's what they're being told. Um, I think that's that's going to be important data to have here going forward. Yeah, oh, no, certainly, certainly agree. Uh, now, the other part of the question, just was, uh, if you can respond to that as well, was what, what if the uh, reality is so far, out, whatever reality means, is so far outside our paradigm, or yes. is so dark and, and frightening that it shouldn't be revealed? I mean, I guess Stanton Friedman even says there are things that should be kept secret. Now, what say you on, on the issue of... Uh, what if it's just so far outside our experience and, and paradigm that it's, uh, it would just yeah. really... You know, that's one of the things I struggle with. Because I, I think, take any one of us, and now put us on the inside. You know, we're part of the cabal, you know, whatever you want to call it. We're part of the inside group, and we know the facts. Would we then say, oh my gosh, we have to tell everybody about that? I, I, obviously, there's a bunch of people who don't think it's the public's 
best interest to share this information. I think the bigger thing, though, is keeping it has kept it from coming out for 70 years is the national security implications. Because what I'm being told by the physicists is that we know how these things operate, and it's they're ripping small holes in space-time. And we've got the, uh, oh, the super collider, in, I think I believe it's in Switzerland, I'm blanking on the name right now, the CERN. Yeah, yeah, the CERN. CERN. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it is just right now at the edge of being able to rip these little tiny holes. And he says, by, by ripping these little holes, that's how they get from here to there. So they may not be from our physical universe. They may be from other places in space and time. In other words, we see this physical universe when we look out with our telescopes, but but space and time are parts of, well, the universe is built of space, time, energy, and matter. It's called STEM. Mm -hmm. and, and we know from Einstein's equations, E equals MC squared, that you can convert between energy and matter. Well, similarly, you can convert between space and time. This is how you would get time travel. This is how you would get different things to happen, uh, completely manipulate your environment. And I think maybe some people have a hard time wrapping their heads around the fact that, that space and time are not fixed. And as we really? look at it, we have a solid desk. You can pound on it. It's solid. Yet we know that these beings are able to go through a wall without uh, any problem at all. We, we've heard of abductions where people are taken through the ceiling um, up into a craft. You know, How do you do that? How do you go through physical matter? Well, you can only do that if you're operating at higher dimensionalities. You know, uh, Michio Kaku wrote his book, The Hyperspace, The Ten-Dimensional Universe, and he talks about this and the different types of civilizations that there are, type 1, type 2, and type 3. So I, I think I think my personal opinion is these are advanced beings who've learned how to manipulate space-time, and we are just on the cusp of being able to do that ourselves. And so at some point here in the not-too-distant future, we're going to get there. And I think the reason it's been kept so secret, and for good measure, is because you don't want your quote-unquote enemies to have this capability. If you've got the capability, you don't want your enemies to have it. it go back, stealth, you know, on, on radar, right? We had stealth aircraft. Well, I just read uh, the other day that China now has all these stealth bombers that they've built. Well, you know, we built them first, and we probably kept that technology secret for 20, 30 years, but now that the cat's out of the bag, everybody else is copying it and figuring out how to do it. So, same thing with space-time manipulation. If you can manipulate space-time, you can do things that are, would look like magic to anyone else. Absolutely. Um, and you don't want your enemies, quote, unquote, enemies. I I'm talking of Russia, China, or whoever else is on the, the hit list, Iran, Iraq, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to, to Iran anyway, to, to be able to have this capability because it puts you at, at, a, at a threat. It becomes a threat to you as a civilization. So, again, I go back to Lou's comments about it's not the purview of government satisfy the out of curiosity of its citizen. It's, it's the purpose of government to protect its citizens. And I think this clamp down secrecy we've had for 70 years has been about protecting the citizenry of the United States and so were they bad for doing that? I mean you, you have to make up your own mind you know your, your question like if it was so horrible that we couldn't know about it you know maybe we shouldn't let this stuff out of the bag and, and there may be some parts of it that are that frankly would be so scary that we, we just scare the heck out of ourselves so why make that generally known to the public? It's a good question. I mean, I've struggled with that myself. Like, what if I'm doing this and it's leading to a place that, you know, we shouldn't be? Exactly. Uh, very, very uh, excellent. One of the best responses I've ever heard to that question, actually. Now, the issue, uh, and you touched on some of this in, in your response uh, to the last one, Jan, was uh, uh, perhaps you, one could call it the religious aspect of this or uh, that people think these might be demons or anything else. 
Uh, and uh, some of our listeners may be sick of hearing about this this experience, but in the 1970s when I was in the seminary, um, I was very surprised to run into a faculty uh, at, uh, this is Roddick's Hall Seminary in upstate New York. It doesn't sound like a Catholic seminary, but it, but it, it, is, it was. And they were very uh, sympathetic to my uh, paranormal research because I was working with a couple of priests and all this. And I ended up working briefly with the diocesan exorcist there. Believe it or not, there really are such things. And I was, um, I, I, I had just wrote a book about uh, some of these things, and it's not published yet, but Schiffer's bringing it out later in the year. And doing research for Chapter 1 on this, I dug out some old notes I had not seen in 40 years. And because uh, I worked very hard to bury some of these, these memories. And uh, I saw that Five of the seven people we worked with in the context of a state hospital up there, St. Lawrence State Hospital, had had UFO experiences and alien visitations. And and it all came back to me. I went to the priest at the time and said, you know, isn't this significant? He said, look, these people essentially are bonkers officially anyway because they're inmates at a state hospital. Don't pay any attention to that. And I wish we had, because there was no no sense of a crossover phenomenon at the time. It was all a theological, which I think was wrong. I don't think that was good enough. I, and um, Although I think there were certainly paranormal things going on, I think their interpretation was wrong. And um, I just, uh, the, so that introduced me to the notion of a crossover phenomenon. And today, uh, ben and I will consult with several mutual friends of ours who are from MUFON who uh, have run into... Things uh, on the opposite side, I suppose, things that uh, uh, would be called quote-unquote demonic phenomena taking place uh, in the homes of people who've uh, undergone abduction experiences. And people always expect me to say, because of the seminary background, aha, aliens are actually demons. Well, maybe the the thing that folklore considers demons are, are, are aliens of some kind, because in close encounters, so to speak, with these things, in poltergeist cases, they're, they're utterly alien, utterly other, utterly different. So, I mean, what, what's your idea about crossover phenomena, and is that uh, being paid attention to in the MUFON community in, in particular, in the uh, UFO community in general? Absolutely. I mean, we're looking at this very strongly. Within the experience or research team, you know, you, you kind of find, it's just like UFO reports. You know, some of them are IFOs, some of them are hoaxes, some of them are... Um, insufficient data and some are just unknowns right well in 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 the abduction phenomena or the experience or phenomena because not everybody feels they've been abducted even though they've had interactions with these other worldly beings um you you find in in a in a small number of cases um i don't know if it's three five ten percent uh there is demonic possession going on and and in those cases where we suspect that we refer them to catholic priests to have an exorcism done and and out of there now but that doesn't mean that everything is 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 demonic. I mean, you've got people oh, who no. have yeah people who have mental illness, like your friend was saying to you, and that's in the hospital. But then I often think to myself, I mean, they might be schizophrenic or they might be bipolar, and they're having these experiences. Um, but I often think to myself, well, maybe if you if I was having a if I was being abducted by aliens and they were taking more attention, maybe I would become schizophrenic too. I mean, maybe maybe it would drive you to becoming kind of nuts because. There's no there's no support system out there that would say, oh yeah, thank you for being aboard that ship, you know. And let's Mufon's one of the few places people can go. I mean, there are other organizations that do this work, but Mufon is the one place people can go 
and we will listen to them and we will help get them the help they want, whether they want to be part of a support group and hear other people's stories in a closed, safe group or whether they want to uh, have a hypnotherapist and walk them through their experience and try to determine what happened exactly or they want, maybe sometimes they're, they're suffering from post-traumatic stress. This is my brother. My brother was for years suffered from post-traumatic stress from this event that we had yeah. and um, uh, didn't really get treatment for it. But I mean, there are people now coming back and saying, hey, I need help. You know, I can't, I'm, uh, many times they can't talk to their spouse or their kids because they're afraid they'll be, you know, put put away in a mental institution. So they, they need someone else they can talk to, and that's us. So, yeah, it's there is a crossover, and we're trying to determine what that looks like uh, and come up with the statistics to show that. Um, there are a small number of cases that are, are, are I would say, demonic in, in, in nature, and uh, we, we think we can recognize those and, and help the people get treatment for that and, and, and hopefully get rid of it. Um, yeah, it's it's all over the map, you know. I, yeah. I don't think I don't think it's a hundred percent demonic. I know there are people out there, even within MUFON, who are espousing that that it's this is completely all demonic. Oh, of course um, not. And, and and I say to myself, I say to them, I say, well, the, it, that may be so, but I said that's not what the data is telling me. Why would a demon or an angel? Because we also get angelic encounters too. Why yeah. would a demon need a physical spacecraft? to come and travel around our planet. I mean, they're in spirit, right? So they should be able to go anywhere they want in spirit, not not in a craft, a physical craft. And, of course, the answer you get back is, well, they, but they do that to deceive us. You know, they're the great deceivers. Okay, I get it. I'm, well, that's I, an I, easy answer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't believe any of that anymore, Jan, I have to tell you. And uh, I would be, um, you know, not that I'm anybody who knows about what you should be doing, but if, if I were you, I wouldn't be referring people to clergy. First of all, I, I came to the conclusion early on that the whole demonic possession thing was wrong. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, you know, it, it's it's a way for us to label something uh, something that is way beyond our understanding. It's a way for us to, to make ourselves think we understand it, because the, the exorcisms half the time didn't work. Uh, I get the impression we were being played like bass fiddles, as we used to say, uh, by these uh, alien, whatever, who were not spirits in any form that I can ever recognize, which of course that's not even possible under the laws of physics. Uh, so I mean, there, there were issues there, and of course I'm 21 years old, you know, they're going to listen to me um, about this, but um, I, I just, clergy are not trained in this. The, the diocesan exorcists in the Catholic Church are presumably, but only in their very narrow interpretation of it. But, but I didn't want to get into this, and I don't want to lecture you. Well, no, no, uh, no, no, but I, I understand exactly what you're saying, because truthfully, they're not trained in exorcism, but but neither is MUFON. That's not something we provide yeah. as a service. But they're not even trained in, in any of this stuff, paranormal, yeah. if you want to yeah. call it, whatever. But yeah, if you want to talk about this off the air sometime, I'd love yeah, to do that. I'd be happy it, to. I, you know, and, and, and Kathleen Mart and her team are the ones really... Uh, uh, helping direct people to the to resources they need to cope with what they're dealing with, and it, yeah. it's a much bigger problem. I, I sometimes wonder how many of our half my, my my brother. Part of his thing was he he got into drugs and alcohol because of, he's trying to medicate himself because he's had this this traumatic experience. Sure, and and um, so in trying to get him, which he's now healthy and off the drugs and everything else because we got him fixed, but uh, and, and treated. Uh, I found that there's this whole community out there, these houses and things that people are going to for to basically deal with their alcoholism and deal with their drug addictions and things like that. And I wonder just how many of those people in those homes have had UFO alien encounters, and that's what drove them to the drugs and to the alcohol. I just want I just it's a it's a it's a, it's a comment I'm making, but it's probably something worth someone doing some research and study on. Maybe yeah, something well, I'll do. 
Well, that kind of brings up something that I, I was going to bring up about half an hour ago, but I decided not to because it was off topic. But now it is on topic. <laughs> um, so I guess this kind of brings up the whole idea of perspective, yeah? So really when it, when it comes down to all of this, each individual experience is based on a perspective in which it's experienced. For example, uh, you, Jan, had a very obvious outcome that was different from your brother from this whole thing you had a very positive experience he had a very negative experience now we hear both sides of the coin here on behind the paranormal whether it's people saying oh well you know i was experimented on i had chips inserted into me my life has been trash but then you've had other people who say i've been enlightened spiritually i Mm -hmm. see all things now now I think this leads to a very important point for disclosure and pretty much the entire field in general, which is, do we really know what we're dealing with here? Because the experiences have just been so on both ends of the dynamic that can we really know for sure what we're dealing with? Well, I mean, we we don't know for sure what we're dealing with. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Um, my, My take on it, though, I, I am a Christian, I, you know. I, I follow. I try to my best to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, which are very simple. You know, be connected to God and then serve your man, solo man. I and mean, that's that's basically what he came here to teach all of us. That's right. Uh, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's very simple. People get wrapped up around the axle on religion, and that's a man. Religion is a man-made. It doesn't have to do with what the Bible says or what Jesus came to preach. But but what I was going to say is that God created a huge universe. He may have created multiple universes. He may have absolutely. Created, you know, and I, I, frankly, I believe that. I believe that there's a lot more than what we know and what we believe. And so, and he put the blueprint for life everywhere. And so, we're just a small part of that blueprint. You know, and people get so wrapped around because our paradigm, our belief system is we are it. You know, we are here on this little planet. It's the little blue-green planet. You know, we're, we're an island unto ourselves. There's nobody else out there. And, and that's just not the case. The case is there's life everywhere. And some of it's embodied, has bodies, you know, Two legs, two arms, a head, and some of it's not embodied. I mean, you've got people channeling stuff from everywhere. You know, I'd be very careful channeling things because you never know what you're channeling. But absolutely. But, mm. but yeah, so 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 this is this to me is exciting. Like I say, oh my gosh, you know, it's not just my little house here and my little picket fence. It's like there's this whole new world out there uh, that we can embrace. Uh, and for some people, that's going to be very scary, and for other people, it's going to be very exciting and enlightening. So I, that's kind of where I come from. It. Yeah, I think, I'm afraid we're almost out of time here, but Jan, a uh, tremendous conversation, and we wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, where people can find out more about you, where they can find more about MUFON, or websites, etc. So please go absolutely, ahead. Absolutely, they should go to MUFON.com, that's our website. Um, on the uh, track bar there at the top, you can do a look at a research. We've got, uh, I would pour into our annual reports, which have some of our best cases for the last five or six years that we've been documenting. Um for your gentleman in Vermont who wanted to know a chapter, if you if you just run your cursor over the join button and down the fifth one down is find a chapter, you click on that and he can look see who the leadership is in each of the states that he's interested in. Uh, happy to I'm happy to have him call me and and we'll get some things rocking and rolling there. And then mostly uh, under track UFOs, we've got a live UFO map, which is our incoming reports as they happen. Uh, I would just caution people that you know we can pretty much rule out about seventy percent of the cases after a careful investigation. So these are raw reports coming in. Uh, okay. But you can also uh, search the database. So if you just tap on track UFOs at the top, it'll pull up a search screen, and you can do searches on things like battle or whatever you want to search for. So um, the information's all there. It's uh, publicly available, and we are a 501c3. We, we depend on uh, people joining, becoming members, 
donating what they can, buying something from the store, and or attending our symposium, because that's 100% where our funds come from. Okay, great. And we have about another minute. Uh, unless I'm wrong, Ben, uh, we can. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, where the future is uh, going to take the uh, UFO community, UFO research. Well, I, I hope the future, and I think the future, will take us into this whole discussion of uh, who's the intelligence behind these vehicles. I mean, it's we've known for 70 years that these craft have been coming here. I mean, anybody in the field has been sure for for, for at least that long that these craft are real. Uh, Dan Friedman's been out there 60 years, preaching mm. UFOs are real. Uh, we've known that. Now, as of 2017, we've got confirmation that even our government uh, uh, understands that and believes it to be true. Uh, I think the next step is to move into this, what are they? And I think it's going to cause a crazy amount of discussion, mm. and it's going to be all over the map. Uh, I would like to have the facts and the data to back up what people are saying, because just... Based on what you believe, that's interesting, but it's really what, what are the facts, and that's what MUFON's about. It's collecting the facts, collecting the data, and talking from an intelligent standpoint about the stuff rather than from a, uh, a belief standpoint. Sounds great. Well, Jan Harzan, tremendous conversation. Thank you. You're welcome to stay with us for the rest of the show. We're just going to do some announcements, and... Um we're going to proceed from there. Just remind everyone that we will not have a video today because we weren't in the studio, but we will have uh, within the next few days a, uh, an, an audio MP3 in our archives where you can find uh, over 800 shows from our times on the, uh, years on the year. So, Ben, uh, take us away, please, here. The announcements, if you would. Uh, I will not. Just kidding. Uh, for any unusual uh, friends or relatives uh, whose whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained, try giving autographed copies of our books. Uh, our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and uh, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters uh, You Have Never Heard Of. Um, they're available from online retailers and in many stores, but autographed copies, uh, you must go to our uh, online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Our first event of 2019 will be the fourth annual Book Lovers Author Expo at the Cumberland Public Library in Rhode Island on Saturday, February 16th from 1 to 4 p.m. There will be many other uh, southeastern New England authors of both fiction and nonfiction, and we will not make a presentation, but we'll meet and greet and sign books. Information is at cumberlandlibrary.org. And on April 23rd, uh, we'll be back at the Town of Prospects Senior Center in Connecticut for a uh, presentation, and uh, we'll keep you posted on details as uh, they develop. And the place is a lot more exciting than it sounds. I mean, tremendous people, uh, crowds we have there, and uh, really, really active seniors, and everybody else. It is open to the public. So, And uh, right after that event, we will, um, let's see, what have we got there? We, oh, yeah, we're going to be at the uh, X-Filers United 2019 Convention, set for uh, the 26th to 28th of April at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. And we won't be there for the whole weekend because we have other things, but we will be presenting on Saturday. And uh, this is a fan convention covering all areas of the paranormal, so check that out, and I think you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, will be published in hardcover this fall, and we'll keep you posted on the release date. And also, don't forget our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over, uh, well, a bunch of shows, including over free 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS, along with special shows and podcasts. Okay, so I think uh, we're just about out of time here, so um, uh, there we go, Yeah, because we're all in remote locations. 
Uh, we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought. Oh, actually, Ben, we should say what's on uh, next week. Oh, yes. So next week we have Anthony Peak. Uh, that's uh, January 27th here on WON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. And uh, Anthony Peak is one of our favorites. Uh, he is a, uh, a he's going to give us a look at the prophetic and magical thoughts in the life and work of 20th century British novelist J.B. Priestley. And uh, Anthony will be coming to us from the UK as well. So we'll, we'll always love to have him on. Great thinker, uh, 